Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analysts James Early, Seth Jason, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be with you, Chris. Coming up, we'll take a look at Amazon's latest Kindle, McDonald's latest sales, and Marvel's latest quarter. We'll share a few stock ideas and air a few beefs. But we begin with Mr. Market. The week ended with investors feeling optimistic after better-than-expected jobs numbers and after finally getting the results of those bank stress tests. Shannon? You share in that optimism, don't you? Uh, no. In, in a word, to, to quote the late great Johnny Ryden, who's still kicking but prefers to be called John Lydon for some reason, uh, you ever get the feeling you've been cheated? U.S. taxpayers have been duped. We uh, really did have an, a need and an opportunity for an honest accounting of the health of these companies that we poured so much money into, and that's the last thing we got. What we got was a dog and pony show. Uh, the answers were known in advance. I think you made the point it's an open Le- book yeah, and, final. And leaked out one by one to yeah, test market reaction. Test- Exactly. Exactly. So, so trial balloons were floated and, and shot down or not, as the case uh, might have been. And basically, the banks were actually in a position to be able to negotiate uh, with the proctors, so-called, of the of the test, uh, to make sure that the answers were going to be massaged in a way that was favorable to them. So, so nothing really happened beyond sort of political theater. And it might have been useful in terms of political theater, but in terms of actually getting to the merits or to, to the heart of the problem uh, in our financial system, it did absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, this is step aerobics with one step. I mean, we knew that about the stress <laughs> tests. Uh, you know, somebody tell me why this matters. I mean, that's kind of the punchline. And, and another thing, to Shannon's point, there was not any real info that we gained from this. I mean, we all knew it well in advance. Um, we, the, the government didn't want to disclose too much info for fear of spooking investors and having them withdraw all their money from a troubled-looking bank. So here we are. You know, we're supposed to drink the, the, the spiked punch and be happy, but I'm not. I don't know. I don't know where to go with the metaphors. This is <laughs> this is the three card Monty of of stress tests. Let's start with let's let's back up a bit to the intro and this unemployment number. Better mm-hmm. than expected. We're right. already running at a rate that is higher than the adverse case scenario for unemployment for the stress test. So eight point nine percent. Right. Eight point five was baked in. Yeah. This is where we are already. I'm just gonna say for for try to be brief and say that this was insultingly bogus because. They leak this stuff out one by one, and for a while they've been floating the trial balloon of, oh, we will let, um, we will convert if some of these banks are short on capital. We will convert some of these preferred shares that the U.S. government has into common equity. That is really just looking at the ten bucks you've already got in your pocket, calling it something else, and then pretending that it's enough. Listen, if it, if you have enough capital it already includes the preferred shares, then just come out and say it. I think they wanted to be able to pretend like they were being hard-nosed and say, well, they need a little bit more capital. Then they step back, they wave the magic wand. You change, basically, you, you change almost nothing except what you call these investments we've already made. And then you say, voila, there's more capital. That's a crock. And I really think it is actually designed solely to to get everybody more enthusiastic, maybe to pump up the bank shares so they can sell some real equity. And that to me is is bogus, it's disingenuous, it's lying. The stress tests were product of economists. And I always say, you show me a confident economist and I'll show you an idiot. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, they're all pretty confident about this, so I'm, I'm worried. Uh, well, actually, there are some smart guys who are on the other side of that uh, that equation, and I, I, uh, I'm not going to call myself a smart guy, but I, I'm I'm with those, uh, the, the the Paul Krugmans and the Nuriel Rubinis of the world. Basically, I think coming out of this, beyond just the, the, the bogusness, as Seth puts it, of the exercise, uh, there are really only bad out- outcomes that can that can follow. Is there anything positive that investors can take away from from this news in terms of looking at this sector? Oh, I think there is. 
I think there's one positive for for the U for the U.S. taxpayers as investors, which is that that now if there's a conversion to equity, first of all, then you get voting rights, and so all these changes you you make by by dictate from above, you actually have more of a right to make. The other thing is that if there's upside in the stock, which there could be, then at least you get that. As preferred shareholders, you have a stream of income, maybe, except that I had a feeling that the government would forgive that and that we'd get nothing uh, in return. So that is a possible upside for taxpayers as investors. Yeah, I, th- I think that the fundamental reform that needed to happen, uh, th- there's concern that maybe the, the opportunity for that has passed because now the crisis appears to be uh, passing, but that's not the case at all. The same problem that we had back in the fall of 2008 is with us right now. We've just uh, punted the ball a little further down the field. You never uh, want to let a crisis go to waste and the fears that maybe we have, but the looming problem of insolvency continues to loom. And if that's not addressed, the day of reckoning is either going to be much uh, bigger than it otherwise would be, or uh, it'll be sooner than, than people think right now. Okay. This week, Amazon introduced the Kindle DX, which is like the Kindle, only with a bigger screen and not surprisingly, a bigger price tag. Seth, you're our resident Kindle fanboy. What, what, what have you taken it out for a test spin? I, well I, put. Yeah, Chris. I don't have one of these. I, obviously, I, I laughed when I saw this because it just—it looks like a joke version of the Kindle too. It's just a really large Kindle. Uh, it looks like a prop from a movie or something, from like a sight gag. I, I've actually thought for a while that this was going to be a good idea. My wife is a teacher and has always wondered if it would be possible for these textbooks to be to be Kindleized in some way. They're not where they need to be yet. You're going to need to have color screens. Uh, the screens are going to have to have a little bit better response in terms of, of graphics and maybe being able to, to magnify what's going on. In, in this, if, if it's going to work as a textbook reader in the end. But I think it's a necessary step. And I would, I would ignore some of the criticism out there where people are saying, well, you know, it should have, you should have handwriting recognition on it and it should give you back rubs and, and do all this. <laughs> That's just not possible with the current technology. So the Kindle is really about, about focus. It's about, it's about making a device that is a very good reader that lasts a long time on, on a battery charge and that is really easy on your eyes. And netbooks, laptops don't do that. The Kindle does. I think this will be a successful experiment, but it's only the beginning. And can I just be the curmudgeon here and say, you know, do we really need another screen to stare at all day long? I mean, we, we already have, uh, uh, you know, so much on digital. I mean, I guess it's eventually going to move that way. I mean, at 500 bucks, so don't don't drop in the toilet. Um, you know, I see this popular with college kids, with, with the senior market who, who might like large print. Uh, you know, I think eventually we, we will get there. I mean, the, right now, the publishers don't like the idea of this 30% revenue share on on, on the material, and, and that's going to be a big hurdle. Um, but just going back to my original curmudgeon point, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie WALL-E, where uh, humans have evolved to these kind of floating blobs who, who <laughs> just stare at this singular screen all day. But, but Wait, I, aren't we already there? <laughs> exactly. But you're looking at paper, and that's the difference here. That The reason that it's not just another screen is, is a Kindle is not a funnel to, to short attention span theater like Twitter or YouTube or any of that. It really is something where you download text and read it. So it's it's a it's a it competes with paper. Uh, it well, doesn't compete with and, everything. But else. we'll have to see about that. We talked about this a couple of uh, podcasts back. You know, technology has a way of shaping what it is that we do. And so you think you come to it with one uh, set of uses, and then it uh, your interaction with it changes the way that you you actually use it. What about newspapers? I mean, part of this story with the Kindle DX is that the newspaper industry can finally have a little bit of a platform here you know with with uh, with this one that Amazon has discounted subscriptions to the Washington Post the New York Times is there 
Is there any light at the end of the tunnel for the newspaper industry? No, says the Kindle guy. Who would read a newspaper on the Kindle <laughs> yeah. if he weren't in front of a computer all day? But actually, most people are, are in front of computers all day, and that's where they're going to get their news. I don't think this saves the newspaper industry. I think it plugs a hole, but they, they need to figure out how to make the Internet work. Yeah, I mean, news has gone away from the centralized model of you know, news per city. I mean, it's, it's much more specialized, and it's better thanks to the Internet. And, and Kindle helps that angle of it. I just don't think the newspapers are necessarily the beneficiaries. It's, yeah, and it's obviously a very popular device. And to me, the interesting story coming out of this is the, the way they may be able to tap into the education market. But Adele has gone down that path as well and Gateway earlier on. And what they found out eventually is that it's a commodity business. There's not a lot of there there in terms of revenue. And I don't know that that's going to be a, a big bang for the amount of effort that Amazon is going to put into it. But those guys were in a commodity product with no actual hook and relationship with publishers. And so this is the iPod type model here where you've got the relationships is is the key for this. We'll see. All right. A couple other well-known brands making news this week. We'll start with McDonald's. Same store sales in the U.S. were up 6% in April, thanks in part to chicken snack wraps and new coffee drinks. Shannon? I love them both. <laughs> <laughs> I Together, like, at the same time, I like to dip my chicken snack wrap oh, into God. my latte. Breakfast oh. of kings. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had I've actually had one cup of the coffee, and it was a latte. And they asked me, did I want a flavor? And I said no, and they seemed surprised. But hey, I like coffee-flavored coffee. So I got it. It was good. It wasn't uh, as good as Starbucks, I would say. And for a long time, I resisted Starbucks. And then they shifted to what – I forget what their – is it Pike's Roast? Is that what the, Pike place? they're pushing now? Yeah. And I actually quite like that because it doesn't taste to me like they have burned the beans. But for a long time before Starbucks, I was a fan of Dunkin' Donuts. This, to me, is comparable to Dunkin' Donuts. Good for McDonald's for actually coming up with a, a product that can, can compete. Is, is Starbucks in trouble? I, I think eventually it's going to peel away some of the market share for Starbucks, and Starbucks will ultimately have to compete on price to peel that back. And so, yeah, that that's once you start doing that, you're not uh, a hot growth stock anymore, but then Starbucks has sort of jumped that shark no anyway. No way. No way. No, no, no. I, I, I actually think that McDonald's coffee or even uh, Dunkin' Donuts can be better, but people kind of go to Starbucks for a different yeah. experience. And I'm not saying it's the greatest experience in the world, but I think people who go to McDonald's are happy sitting in those Formica chairs and getting their quick coffee. And people who go to Starbucks are more interested in a different kind of setting while they, even if they're only standing there for five minutes while they get their coffee and sugar it. When was the last time you saw, saw somebody at McDonald's on his laptop? I mean, there, there's actually a whole industry of chair building. They, they do it by time. So you can buy a 15-minute chair, a 30-minute chair, an hour-long chair, depending on how long you want somebody to stay in the restaurant. McDonald's, I believe, buys the 15-minute plastic uncomfortable chairs because they want to get you out and somebody else sits. And the so restaurants are very cold to turn you around. But just one point of that, I, I don't think that McDonald's is going to take a, a huge amount of market share uh, away from Starbucks. Peeling away some of it is probably going to happen just on, just on price. And where Starbucks is right now, that's a problem. Marvel reported better-than-expected earnings thanks to continued revenue from the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man DVDs, and thanks to licensing. Marvel's next self-produced films are Iron Man 2, which will be released next year, and Thor, which will be released in 2011. They've got kind of a deep bench over at Marvel, don't they? <laughs> well, they always <laughs> like to say uh, 5,000 or 8,000 or 143,000 characters, mo most of whom made, you know, one panel cameos at some point in time. So they've only got a few properties, it's dozens maybe, that can that can have this kind of draw. The interesting thing about Marvel is that in some respects, it does the quality of the movie doesn't matter at some point. I, I have 
talk to people who just think this latest Wolverine movie is awful. And uh, that really won't matter all that much under under the right circumstances. So it's a pretty enviable uh, business position to be in, and they've done a good job. Yeah, if you make a product where things blow up and people want to come out and see it, uh, then that's a, that's a good product, apparently, because it uh, exports well, too. But Thor, if they have a deep bench, Thor's got to be on the B team, right? I, I, <laughs> I was a big fan of Marvel, and I love Spider-Man, love Iron Man, and I used to love these big blockbuster films, but not so much in more because they seem to be more about the special effects than the narrative. And the thing about Marvel, especially back when the battle was between Marvel and DC, Marvel always had the better storylines because you had these real deal characters who actually had problems, whereas you know DC's superheroes, they never uh, could be uh, harmed, really. Superman is the classic example. I am looking forward, though, to the new Star Trek film, though. It looks uh, phenomenal, and I can't wait to see who they get to play uh, Yeoman Janice Rand, who was my first childhood crush. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah, for investors at some point, you know, Marvel's been doing so well that beating expectations will become the expectation, and and it could almost become a victim of its own success. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what I'm I'm more impressed by is, is Shannon's first childhood crush or, or James' knowledge of the chair building industry, <laughs> which kind of I'll be honest that freaked me out a little bit. Um, you know, Seth, you don't think they have a deep bench, but let me just throw this out at you. Uh, as you said, they have the rights. Marvel has the rights to more than five thousand superheroes. Some of them are obscure, so let me just throw this out there. <laughs> 5,000 only some the extras, of, yeah. I would of, bet that 4,800 are obscure. Of the following three, which one is not a Marvel character? The Mind Worm, Wyatt Wingfoot, or Squirrel Girl? <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, the Mind Worm. I'll go with Squirrel Girl. Uh, whatever's left. You know what? All three of them are actually <laughs> Marvel superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. Uh, I got this from Wikipedia. Squirrel Girl? is originally from Los Angeles, California. She is first seen ambushing Iron Man in a forest. She hopes to impress the veteran hero, wishing him to take her under his wing as his sidekick. I had heard of Squirrel Girl, actually. Oh, wait, it gets better. The 14-year-old mutant introduces herself (laughs) and her pet squirrel, Monkey Joe, and displays her various abilities, all of which are squirrel-themed. What does that mean? Uh, she can climb trees very quickly. She can be on telephone. Just she don't get her near a bird feeder. Yeah. She, has a really, say, she eats the bird Really feed strong out of her tail. Yeah. Um, she yeah. can dig in my tomatoes and get a blowgun dart through her. Uh, <laughs> oh. Sorry. Hey, now. Okay. And, and again, just to be clear, I got that off of Wikipedia. I don't have that knowledge at my fingertips. I, I don't want my man card revoked. Well, the what? good news is it might not even be true then. That's right. The Stephen Wikipedia. Colbert Nation may have had something to do with those, uh, those superheroes. All right. It's time for What's Your Beef? Time to sound off on a company, a person, a topic of your choosing, and we'll start with Shannon Zimmerman. Well, so I want to uh, reheat a beef from from last week. Uh, I talked about how the <laughs> rally oh <boy. laughs> reheated beef in the microwave or stovetop. Uh, stovetop for me. Foreman. Uh, I talked about the the, the rally uh, being ridiculous, which I, which I believe. And I wrote an article for Fool.com to that effect. Got a fair amount of attention and a lot of pot shots, and that comes with the territory and a little bit of praise for which I would like to thank my dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the, my point wasn't that all stocks going up made no sense. What makes no sense is that the the rising tide of the market market has lifted the leakies of boats. Certainly when you have a market that is as sold off uh, as this one is, you're going to be able to find bargains. But the fact that these uh, these leaky boats uh, have been lifted makes no sense to me. When you analyze what's analyzable about them, uh, you find out that there's no real good, strong, fundamental investment case. That is not to say at all that, that, that stocks like IBM uh, or, or uh, uh, Solera, for instance, that have popped quite nicely over the last uh, three months didn't deserve that rise. I think that they definitely do. So you have to be careful about how you cherry pick the winners and uh, the, the idea that the market is shot up in the 
way that it has, uh, just sort of willy-nilly, is the thing that I find ridiculous. Can, can I tag on to that really quickly? Sure. And if you are always cheering for the entire market to go up, I think you need to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself whether you really are an investor. And that sounds harsh, but around here, where I think we've got a lot of really good investors, people are more nervous when the market's going up for no reason, and they're much more excited when it's down, because that's where you make your bar- you find your bargains, and lowest cost basis wins. We're looking at this long term. Right. James Early? Sure. I have a quick macro kind of beef. Our, our recent Treasury auction didn't go as well as we thought, and that got some people talking about China and how much China owns the U.S., and I just wanted to clarify a few things. First of all, I love China. It's, it's where I buy all my infant formula and <laughs> and dog food and, and uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, but the Chinese ownership of exactly of U.S. Treasuries is a little bit overblown. Uh, China only owns about six point five percent of our Treasuries. The U.S. government itself owns half. I mean, it's like the sound of playing tennis with yourself, right? Um, but China owns a fairly small amount. I mean, six point five percent is probably the the percentage of weight your average cheese whiz eating American might lose on a week-long backpacking trip. So it's it's really not <laughs> as extreme as people are making it out to be. Thank you for the image. Seth Jason. I don't know. Is it kosher to kick GM in the groin when it's already down and sort of clutching at its groin? Oh, sure. Okay, why not? I... I was tipped off to this by by Deal Breaker, which is a, a great market blog, but only if you like the occasional swear words and a lot of snarkiness. That the the management of GM is sort of begging uh, the U.S. government for more incentives. In other words, the money you give us directly isn't good enough, but you should follow the example of of hey, a China or somebody like that, and incentivize consumers out there to buy cars, which is which is just another direct subsidy. And I just, I mean, it's it's pitiful. And I wonder to myself. At what point in time did the supposed capitalists in this in this room in the boardroom at GM in the executive suite become like more socialist than than, than the most socialist union member you could probably find? This is top down Kremlin type stuff. They don't even do this in the Soviet Union anymore because we don't have that. And speaking of that, speaking of, of socialism, you know, GM is griping now that they're mad about so much media coverage about how bad they're doing because they think it's scaring people away from buying cars, and that's the equivalent of of having having your hair on fire and saying, oh, don't look, don't look, nothing to see here. I mean, come on, you brought on yourself, GM, as a yeah, factor. They, they lit their own hair the, on fire. The Financial Times reported that, that, that GM has now lost more money than it's made over its entire life. So, yeah, bottom line, GM, boo friggity hoo. <laughs> All right, as we head into the next week. Give me one stock that's on your radar. Shannon? Uh, if, uh, been spending a lot of time this week on energy stocks, and it's an area of the market that folks uh, should really think carefully about before they dive into, because they likely have substantial energy exposure already. If you have a portfolio, if you own mutual funds for which uh, the S&P 500 is a reasonable proxy, uh, you probably have about 13% of your assets already in, invested in energy. And with that sector, typically bigger is better because the economies of scale and the cost of doing business there really do matter. However, uh, if you are perhaps underweight energy and are interested in exploring that area. Here's a, a, a company that may not be on your radar, National Oil Well Varco. Uh, ticker is NOV, and it makes equipment for oil and gas drilling and production. Best-in-class operator, uh, obviously tethered to a very volatile commodity, but uh, again, if you want to diversify out of those household names into a different but still compelling uh, ki- kind of company, this is one to take a look at, but look very quickly. Uh, it's gonna it's up about 40% on the, on the year so far, and is uh, on the verge of moving out of that valuation sweep spot. James Early? Uh, GM. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if only get the bar out of short. Um, Procter & Gamble is something you might want to take a look at. It recently raised its dividend 10%. It's one of those can't-go-wrong stocks that owns you know, sort of uh, a whole bunch of consumer brands. 
All right, Seth Jason. Blackboard, uh, if you have kids in school or if you're in college, this is the company that is one of the leading providers of educational software. Distance learning, the kind of thing that, that doesn't let you say the dog ate your homework because actually the teacher has posted the PDFs online, hosts online discussions. The dog ate my PDF? That's yeah. not going to fly. <laughs> that doesn't dog ate fly. your Kindle DX. <laughs> yeah, and they came out with, uh, with some okay-looking results uh, this past week, and also they announced that they are buying one of their smaller competitors which is which is angel learning which is one that I've been hoping they would buy for a while because uh, because consolidating this market could could actually help them out allow them some cross sells and everything there's still open source competition yep. with Moodle but actually Blackboard has a really good record of, of keeping their clients something like a 92 to 93 percent retention rate and I wish the stock Frankly, I wish the stock would drop down in the mid twenties so we could so we could do another buy again. But keep an eye on this one because it is volatile. If it gets down there, I think you're in good shape. Yeah, I, I, I taught for a while and have experience with both Angel and Blackboard. And Blackboard is a, a terrific product, and the acquisition was an intelligent one. But at one point, at some point, uh, do schools get to ask for the antitrust discount because they're you know, rolling up all these? <laughs> well, guys? this is where this is actually where I thought about this. And Blackboard is probably very thankful for open source Moodle because Absolutely. there's really no good, way that the FTC can come down on them when there, when there's this open source alternative. Yep. All right. Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>